The Carolina Panthers close out the 2023 regular season on Sunday by hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it is a new year. Will it be a new Carolina Panthers here in 2024? I'll provide my three keys to victory right here on Locked On Panthers. You are Locked On Panthers, your daily Carolina Panthers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Panthers podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Julian Council, talking Carolina Panthers with you every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Your team every day. That's our motto here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe or follow the show for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And be sure to follow me. Julian Council on Twitter, at Julian Council. We're starting next Friday. The weekly Friday mailbag is back here on Locked on Panthers throughout the offseason on every single Friday. There's going to be occasional Fridays where I don't answer your mailbag questions, but most Fridays, I'm going to be answering your weekly Friday mailbag questions, so either at me or DM me to get those questions into me for next week's edition of the weekly Friday mailbag right here on Locked on Panthers. Today's episode of Locked on Panthers is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. One more game for the Carolina Panthers here in what's technically still the 2023 regular season, even though the game's going to be taking place in 2024. But one final game here in the 2023 season for the Carolina Panthers. Then we can get to all the things that we actually want to find out about the Panthers. Like, is Scott Fitter still going to be the general manager here? Who's going to be the head coach? And does anyone want to work for David Tepper after he threw a drink on a fan last week and was only fine $300,000 and did not even apologize in the statement that he put out. It's his passion, y'all. That's the blame. It's the fan. Him not going to security to have the fan removed. That's to blame. Not David Tepper and his own actions. And yet another example of why he's the problem. And I don't have much hope moving forward that things are going to change until he realizes that it's him. You, Dave, you're the problem. But we'll find out soon enough. So plenty of things go on this offseason. Think it'll be an exciting offseason. I only ask the Panthers are going to be as bad as they were this season to give me something to talk about in the offseason. And for the second year in a row, they've done that. At least last year in the 2022 season, they were entertaining. At the end of the day, with Steve Wilkes taking over, they were in the conversation to be a playoff team to potentially win the NFC South. So, okay, I got that. And then we had the entire offseason, which the coaching search, free agency, trading up to number one, then draft Bryce Young. So this year, okay, coaching search, we'll see what happens to general manager, and we'll find out a lot of things about this team. Uh, will it end up in a team that can win football games come the fall? Mm, I doubt it, but we'll see how things happen. So let's get into it, though. One final game 
on Sunday against Tampa Bay. The Bucs, if they win, they will be NFC South champions for the third year in a row. If they lose, the winner of the Saints-Falcons game will represent the NFC South and host a playoff game either against Dallas or Philadelphia and likely get blown the hell out. But we'll find out soon enough who that will be. Let me give you my three keys to victory heading into this game on Sunday versus the Bucs. All right, y'all. Number one, the Panthers got to find a way to start running the football again. Haven't done it the last two weeks. Ran for 96 yards in that thrilling, heartbreaking loss against Green Bay Packers. Then only 57 yards on Sunday against the Jags. And they tried to run it coming out the gate. Couldn't do it. Offensive line was putrid in that game. And there was a serious concern about their ability to, of course, protect on Sunday. But if they can even pave the way to have a successful running game against the Bucks on Sunday afternoon. And the past two games, being under 100 yards, that snapped a streak of the Panthers rushing for 100-plus three straight weeks, which started back in Week 13 on the road against these exact same Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So the Panthers carried the ball 34 times for 133 yards, 3.9 yards per carry. Chuba Hubbard had the first 100-yard rushing game of the season for the Panthers and became only the second running back this year to rush for over 100 yards against the Bucks, carrying 25 times for 104 yards, two touchdowns in that game. That's right. Two touchdowns. The Carolina Panthers went over their allotment of one and scored two. Now, they had to pay for that. Didn't score against New Orleans the week after that. Didn't score a touchdown, of course, against Atlanta in the win. Or last week in the first shutout loss since 2002 against the Jags. But they did score. And I'm trying to figure out, moving things around, how many touchdowns are they allowed to score on Sunday? Is it two? Is it three? We'll find out, but they need to be able to run the football if they're going to have success to win this game on Sunday. We understand this offensive line ain't great pass protecting. They're better when it comes to run blocking. Now the run blocking scheme hasn't necessarily fit the personnel this season, but if the Panthers are going to have success on offense, they got to be able to establish the line of scrimmage and be able to run the football. This is not a team that can drop back and have success passing the football. That's been the case here in 23, in 22, in 21. It's been a while since Panthers could be confident in their passing game. And heading into this Week 18 matchup against the Bucks. I don't think there should be a ton of confidence in the passing game's ability to have big-time success, knowing that there's not great protection, and also they're now down Jonathan Mingo. wasn't like he was that great anyways, but still you're down one of your top receivers heading into this game against Tampa Bay. So neither lean on the run game. Number two, they got to make the big play slash avoid the big play. Yes, we know. The Panthers do not have a big play offense. They have been few and far between. Even the big-time game Bryce had against Green Bay, he only completed one pass over 20 yards as far as air yards go in that game according to next-gen stats. Bryce is excellent. We've known even when he plays well, which has not been that often, and that's not necessarily all on him as we've been over countless times this season, The receiving talent doesn't have a ton of speed, doesn't have that great game-breaking ability, and that has limited the Carolina Panthers' offensive explosion numbers. It just does not happen. But what they need to do, knowing that they aren't going to really complete, um, not complete, but um, produce explosives, create explosive, that's what I want to say, create explosive plays, is they can't allow them. You go back to the game against Tampa, week 13, I talked about this on yesterday's show with James Yarko of Locked on Bucks. The difference really was Mike Evans. 
Mike Evans, right after the Panthers, scored that touchdown with Chuba Hubbard in the third quarter to take the lead. Went 75 yards to score a touchdown. The Panthers held the lead for a total of 10 seconds. Who was not in on that play? J.C. Horn, who we barely saw. I don't think we even saw him at all, actually, in the second half. His first game action since the week one loss in Atlanta where he went down with a hamstring right before halftime. He was on a pitch count. So we did not get to see J.C. Horn in that second half. And one of the biggest plays of the second half and in the game was Mike Evans breaking free. It really was just a slant route. And you saw Troy Hill not being able to tackle him. C.J. Henderson not able to track him down. It was just Mike Evans doing what Mike Evans has done his entire career. That got him over 1,000 yards on the season for how many other seasons he's played so far. He's had 1,000 yards every year. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's a free agent this offseason, by the way, so that would be someone to be interested in, possibly, if he's interested at all in Carolina. But they avoid the big play there. They quite possibly win this game. Yes, we can go back to the third down and fourth down and one calls and not running the football when you had Chuba Hubbard, who had already run for 100 yards in that game. You're having success in that that area. Why not Uh, at least give Chuba the ball? third down or fourth down, maybe both if necessary. But the big play that the Panthers gave up, that turned out to be the major difference in the game. So Mike Evans killed him last year in Tampa, both last year, last year in 2023, and last year in 2022. You can't let that be the case on Sunday. Have to avoid the big play. Uh, Number three, and this is the most important one, don't let Baker Mayfield beat you. Y'all, you've listened to me. I have immense respect for Baker Mayfield. And we had the conversations when he was traded here about whether he was liked by his teammates in Cleveland and just his whole attitude. Baker Mayfield is not the number one overall pick in the NFL draft if Baker Mayfield isn't who he is. And that just goes to his personality, the way he goes about his business. That mentality is what got him to... Texas Tech as a true freshman walk-on and have success under Cliff Kingsbury. It's what got him to Oklahoma to where when he transferred there, they already had a quarterback. They had Trevor Kelly, who had lit up Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. They already had a quarterback. He wasn't concerned about that. He went in there, and he got the job, was a walk-on as a sophomore, got into the playoff, won the Heisman Trophy his senior year, got him back to the playoff, that epic Rose Bowl against Georgia. Baker Mayfield then was the number one overall pick. He is that because of his mentality, because of having that chip on his shoulder. And we have talked about in the past that in those situations, man, he has had a lot of success. Didn't have it against Cleveland last year, but maybe he has it against Carolina on Sunday in a game where if the Bucs can win, they're, of course, the been champs. Baker possibly secures his future at least until next year as a Bucs starting quarterback, and he gets revenge against an organization that – Pretty much gave, not pretty much, they gave up on him. And now but Baker's the one who asked for the release after he had been benched, but the organization moved on. And they didn't put him in the best situation last year, not being able to facilitate that trade on night two of the draft and waiting until July to get it done and then having him go through this faux quarterback competition. I don't care if anyone wants to say that it actually was a legitimate one. The Panthers not spent all offseason trying to get Deshaun Watson and all the nastiness going around him to get him to come to Carolina to have Baker to have Sam Darnold rather be the starter again. They didn't go out there and do all of that to have Sam Darnold try it out there and be the starting quarterback. So Baker was going to be the guy regardless. Wasn't the best situation, but you know, damn Skippy, this guy wants to come in here and have success and win this game and show the Carolina Panthers that they were wrong. I don't think they were because I don't think Baker really is a long-term option 
for any team in the NFL. It's short-term for Tampa, good for him, respect Baker, got love for Baker. You can't let the man win. When they played him in Week 13, he had 14 of 29 passing, 202 yards, 75 of which came on that Mike Evans touchdown catch and run. That was all Mike Evans. Uh, He had a touchdown to Mike Evans, the interception. His quarterback rating was a 23.6, so not good at all. Had a 68.5 rating. The Panthers did a good job against Baker. Now, there was a torrential downpour in that first half, and things kind of subsided later on, but it wasn't like Baker was great. But he has been lighting it up the last couple of weeks. He had the perfect passer rating in Green Bay. The only other player who's done that is Aaron Rodgers, who, of course, is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's completed over the last three weeks of the season 72.9% of his passes for 973 yards, eight touchdowns, two picks, a 124.2 rating. Baker's been cooking. Now, he's had some injury issues, but still, the dude is playing out of his mind. And if it's not just that he's playing well, that he wants revenge, the NFC South titles on the line, potentially his future, the money that Baker Mayfield could make is also another point where the Carolina Panthers can't let him come in here and win this game. Baker has a $4 million base salary, which he's likely in line for $2.2 million in playtime, so stat bonuses plus another $1 million if the Bucks make the playoffs by winning on Sunday. So, And then he gets two fifty dollars for each playoff win. So he's likely up for $3.2 million in bonuses with a win on Sunday against Carolina. You're not only handing him the revenge in a division, you're handing him $3.2 million cash if you lose this game on Sunday. So I like Baker. I respect Baker. Didn't work out here in Carolina. That's okay. But, man, you cannot let Baker Mayfield come in here and beat you on Sunday. So those are the three keys to victory. Don't let Baker Mayfield beat you. Got to avoid the big play. And, hell, maybe make a big play. And you got to lean on the run game to take some pressure off of Bryce Young and a paltry pass game here in Carolina. Those are the three keys to victory as the Panthers host the Bucks, Week 18, NFC South Division title on the line at Bank of America Stadium at 1 p.m. All right, the Panthers do have some injuries. That has been the case all season long. Let's take a look at the injury report when we come back here in just a moment on Locked on Panthers. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is so easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. One more game to go for the Carolina Panthers. And of course, there are injuries for the Panthers who have, we went over it earlier in the week. Was it 14 guys that are on injured reserve? Just an insane amount of talent. Just but even bodies on the injury report all season long, but on IR and no matter 
what you think about Frank Reich, Thomas Brown, the offensive coaching staff, what you feel about some of these players. You're not going to have success in the NFL if you have that many guys go on IR. You lose your two starting guards who miss a combined 29 games. You lose Shaq Thompson who missed the final 15 games of the season. He actually was speaking to the media earlier this week just talking about how difficult it's been watching, well, all this play out this season. So it's, it's hard for you watching. Imagine for him, a man who could have at least helped. I don't know how much he would have helped in terms of the win-loss record, considering he's an off-ball linebacker, but the Panthers would have been better defensively and overall had Shaq Thompson been able to play the entire season. When you lose your starting linebacker, you lose your two starting offensive guards, you're missing out on J.C. Horn for a lot of weeks, you're missing your starting safeties for a couple weeks there early on in the season, Um, you're not going to have success, y'all. It's just not going to happen. You put that on top of receivers not getting separation or having speed and having rookie quarterback play caller that has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> it's a perfect storm, which is leading to a two and 14 season and possibly the first ever two and 15 season in the NFL, but it's almost over. And hopefully the Panthers can get one final day of joy by beating the bucks and preventing them from going to the playoffs. And then I would hope the saints would win. I would rather the saints than the Falcons. Like, if you lose to the Panthers, We've had this conversation with some of the other locked-on hosts during the crossovers the last couple weeks. If you lose to this Panthers team, you don't deserve to go to the playoffs, honestly. The Falcons, come on. You don't deserve to go. Houston, like they could. I, I, it's a win or go. It's a win and end game, right? On Saturday between the Texans and the Colts. Indy, come on. Indy, yelling this. The Texans, you can't lose the Panthers and be a playoff team, especially here in the NFC South. The Saints swept them. They deserve to go to the playoffs. The Bucs, they lose. Obviously, don't deserve to go to the playoffs. Carolina go out there, play spoiler, and let's get a final laugh here. And new year, new Panthers. All right, so getting to the injury report, Marquis Haynes, he is out of a concussion. He has come back to Charlotte. That happened a couple days ago. Uh, sorry for the lack of update there. Good news, though, back at home in Jacksonville to go down get stretched off, get taken off on a backboard is always scary. And looking at the hit, I was, I still have a hard time seeing what happened there, but I'm happy of course that he is healthy. At least, well, he's, well, he's back home and hopefully the concussion, we know how serious that is of his brain. Like that's important. Y'all like that literally controls everything. Um, hopefully he'll be fine, but it's unfortunate for Mikey Haynes. A lot of fans, we had conversations throughout the offseason about, hey, can Haynes step up, be that edge rusher opposite of Brian Burns, be that full-time starter? And the Panthers, with the injury that was back in training camp, I getting to see him, new coaching staff. They went out, got Justin Houston, who didn't do anything at all, and, and he asked for his release a couple weeks ago. But Haynes has missed 10 games this season, and that's counting the game coming up here on Sunday. Uh, hasn't recorded the sack. It's unfortunate that this happened, but he's probably played his last snap as a Carolina Panther, and it's awful. His last snap as a Panther, it ends in him being taken off on a backboard in his hometown. So best wishes to the Marquis Haynes. Appreciate all his contributions to the Carolina Panther. Just hard to see that he would be back, whether Fitterer's back or not, here in Carolina moving forward. Again, best of luck to him and appreciate his time here in Carolina. And hopefully, physically, mentally, emotionally, he'll be fine moving forward with that concussion. J.C. Horn, he is questionable for the second week in a row of a toe injury. Last week, this was interesting, J.C. Horn was active, good to go. Then after the inactives were released, close to the game time, he said, yeah, you know what, y'all, I'm not feeling it. And 
I'm not saying that J.C. Horn like pulled a trick on the Panthers. I'm just saying that J.C. Horn felt like he was good to go. And with a toe, this happened a couple years ago during the 2020 season with Dante Jackson when he had turf toe. And I don't know if that's what J.C. Horn's dealing with. But Dante, and there's a really good article that came out about, I think it was in 21, about turf toe. It was on ESPN.com. And Dante Jackson was somebody that was quoted and that they highlighted in that story just how difficult it can be where Dante said how he felt great going out there through warmups and he could feel great for two quarters. And then you just turn the wrong way. That toe gets a little loose and you're done for the day. Like I'm guessing that's probably what happened with JC Horn, not knowing necessarily the nature of the toe injury, but I'm imagining that it he probably took a wrong step, didn't feel good, and it was unfortunate the timing uh, when it came to that. So the hope is that he can go and that if he is activated, he'll actually be out there on the field playing because one of the keys I had to victory, uh, avoiding the big play, Mike Evans is having massive games against the Panthers whenever J.C. Horn does not play. We need J.C. Horn out there on Sunday to be able to limit Mike Evans. So Questionable for a second straight week in a row. We'll find out on Sunday around like 1130 or so when, when inactives come out, whether he will be able to go or if he's going to miss yet another game. Calling to question his future here in Carolina long term. Uh, two other ones that are doubtful. Kicker Eddie Pinheiro has a hamstring injury that was suffered during warmups before the Jacksonville game. Second time in three years, the Panthers kicker kicker has gotten injured during warmups of a game and could not go out there and play as they had to have a special teams ace. This time it was Kamu Grier Hill. Last time is Brandon Zilstra handled kickoffs. Fortunately for the Panthers, they only kicked off one time and that was to start the game. So they didn't have to worry about the kicking game all that much. They would have likely uh, gotten on the board and not been shut out, have Pinheiro been healthy, or they would have tried Johnny Hecker because it was a 41 or so yard field goal that they opted not to attempt because Pinheiro was not out there, but he has not been out there at practice. He was trying to work, I think, on Friday. It's just going to come down to what he looks like on Sunday. The Panthers have signed Matthew Wright to the practice squad. Matthew Wright, you may remember him. He was signed here on August 8th and was here until the end of the preseason while Pinheiro was dealing with a minor injury in training camp. He's been on the practice squads of the 49ers, Falcons, and Patriots this season, but has not appeared in a game. So Matthew Wright has familiarity with the staff. They have seen him before, and they have signed him. And we'll see if he'll be the kicker. I'm guessing likely that will be the case. The other player that's doubtful is Cade Mays, who injured his finger last week in that loss against Jacksonville. When he went out, Nash Jensen came in at left guard. My guess is, with that still being a problem and it being the last week of the year, I would guess that Cade Mays is out and Nash Jensen will be the starter at left guard for the Carolina Panthers. Good news, Troy Hill, who missed last week, he has been cleared as far as the concussion protocol. He'll be back and I guess... Maybe C.J. Henderson will be out again. That would be the third straight week in a row that he would be a healthy scratch. I'm guessing Shaquille Griffin will get the call over him. But Troy Hill, he's good to go on Sunday after clearing concussion protocol. So that's an update with the injury report. And we'll see how the Carolina Panthers are able to manage heading into that game on Sunday against Tampa Bay. The NFLPA, for the second year in a row, they put out a team report card. And they gave us a little sneak peek by ranking the top five defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, and special teams coordinators. And you may be surprised by this, but two Panther coordinators are up there. And it's not the one you think would be up there. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. 
on Locked On Panthers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed about how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another, or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you want to actually eat breakfast too. Therapy helps you find your strength so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge celebrate the progress you've already made visit betterhelp.com locked on today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash locked on Last year, the NFLPA, that's the National Football League Player Association, they put out their first annual team report card where they graded the team on how they would treat their family or how the conditions of the facility look like and all that kind of stuff. Now, this year, there's a new wrinkle. They have the players go out here, and they've been rating their coordinators. And the Panthers had two coordinators that were listed, and one of them that you would think was listed was not. So a quick little rundown of this whole survey, and this is coming from the NFLPA website. NFL players were asked to rate their offensive, defensive, and or special teams coordinators in conjunction with the second annual NFL player team NFLPA player team report card project, an anonymous comprehensive player survey conducted among each team during NFLPA visits last fall. These coordinators received the highest average rating from players on their clubs based on survey results collected from players on each team. The NFLPA is only publishing the top five coordinators in each category to highlight and focus on the positive impact coaches can have on players across the league. We also want to ensure that players' opinions are heard and accounted for by clubs ahead of the next hiring cycle. So really what this turns out to be is the players trying to let these owners understand that, hey, these are the coaches that we feel like are great coaches that you should consider elevating to a head coach position. These guys, these are the guys that we really appreciate, the job that they do, how they interact with players, their scheme, all that. Don't look over them. So here's the list. Defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn is the number one defensive coordinator. He, of course, hails um, from the uh, God, the Detroit Lions. Steve Wilkes is number two. Of course, the San Francisco 49ers should have been the head coach here in Carolina, but was not. Dan Quinn, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, is number three. Brian Flores, the Vikings defensive coordinator, is number four. Raheem Morris, the Rams defensive coordinator, is number five. Now, looking over at offensive coordinators, and of course, we know David Tepper, he's looking for that offensive coordinator Here are the top five. Frank Smith of the Miami Dolphins. Number two, Thomas Brown of, wait, here, the Carolina Panthers. Number three, Brian Schottenheimer of the Cowboys. Brian Callahan of the Bengals. And number five, Kellen Moore of the Chargers, who did interview for this job last year. Then special teams. These are going to be some names you probably haven't heard of. Number one, John Fossil, all long time fantastic special teams coordinator. He's there in Dallas. Chris Tabor, the Panthers interim head coach and one of the top coordinators in the NFL as far as special teams goes. He's number two. Matt Daniels of the Vikings is number three. Dave Phipp of the Lions is number four. And Darren Rizzi of the Saints is number five. So Thomas Brown and Chris Tabor, not a Jero Vero, are considered top two coordinators by the NFLPA and its players. That is 
Very interesting. I had a couple people send this to me, and I had a conversation with one of them via my Twitter DMs at Julian Council. And for me, really, this just highlights how players feel about their coaches, but it also can highlight how play calling and offensive success isn't not necessarily the number one indicator whether you're a good coach. Now, uh, yeah, I get it. I hear you. I hear you. If you're an offensive coordinator and you call plays and you have one of the worst offenses in the league, whether all that is on you or not, a lot of it's going to be placed on you as far as the blame. And Thomas Brown has not done a good job as a first-time play caller in the NFL. He's done it in college at Miami, but in the NFL, he has not done a great job. And it's unfortunate for him. And I'm not saying this to be controversial, to upset anybody, but y'all, we look around the NFL, you don't have very many black play callers on the offensive side of the ball. And for Thomas Brown, this may have been his chance, and it sucks if he doesn't get another opportunity. Now, yes, he has a lot to blame is his, 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 himself. I totally understand that, but just looking at it from that perspective, you got to maybe be a human being and, and empathize there just a little bit while understanding that, well, he didn't do a great job anyways, so that's the nature of the business. It's a meritocracy, yada, yada, yada. But clearly... The men in that locker room respect the hell out of Thomas Brown, which kind of gets me to what really got us excited about this coaching staff was, oh, there's multiple head coaches potentially on this staff. Thomas Brown could be a head coach. He's one of the rising stars in the NFL. Chris Tabor, he could be a head coach one day, not on an interim basis, but as a full-time head coach. Uh, We talked about Josh McCown. He would have already been a head coach if there wasn't something called the Rooney Rule. The Texans, from optics perspective, wouldn't have had to not hire him. But either way, the Panthers had multiple guys you looked at that could potentially be head coaches. And this player survey is telling me that while Thomas Brown has done a great job calling the plays or coordinating the offense, maybe even evaluating the player talent because Bryce is who he wanted, and I'm not saying that Bryce is not the answer, maybe he's just a good leader of men and that he may be better suited actually just being a head coach and going out there and hiring a staff and someone to call plays and having someone to, to call plays and be a defensive coordinator and that his relationship with the players, that might be the most important thing opposed to just being a play caller. So we sit here all the time, we talk about, got to get this guy who's a play caller, got to do all this and that, and we've seen those guys not have success, like Matt Nagy. Oh, hey, got to get him to be a play caller. He's with Andy Reid, wasn't calling plays there, gets to Chicago, doesn't do a great job. Frank Wright came in here, he wasn't doing a great job as a play caller and a head coach at the same time, even though he mentioned from the very beginning that one day he would give up the play calling duties to Thomas Brown, who we know has not done a great job. So really, this is an endorsement of Thomas Brown that, all right, we understand offense here in Carolina has been bad. There's been a lot of issues. Not all of them are on Thomas, but of course, he's going to get the blame, a lot of it, and he deserves it. And no one's really arguing against that. But man, he's a good coach. And this is someone that you should look at seriously as a head coach. So, and I don't think it's crazy to say. I think we just get way too caught up in, oh, his defense is great, his offense is great, he would make a great head coach. There are so many other things that go into being a great head coach other than play calling. Like, you're going to have to take on so many more things as a head coach than you would have to take on as a coordinator. Now, some guys get to be basically the head coach of the defense if they have like a Sean McVay as their head coach and play caller like Raheem Morris out there with the Rams, and he has experience as a head coach before. It's very interesting when looking at all of that, and Chris Tabor as well. He's stepped in as the interim head coach here in Carolina. They have still not won games. They have been a little bit more competitive, of course, the last couple of weeks. 
But the players clearly respect Chris Tabor and how he's gone about his business. This has been reported by Mike Kay and several other reporters here locally in Charlotte, just how much the team respects Chris Tabor. And this would be another endorsement for Chris Tabor returning to Carolina next season. I just don't think with Thomas Brown, it's going to happen. And maybe it does. His wife came out and said he's already fired. I don't see him being retained or anyone on this offense coaching staff being retained, and rightfully so. You can't have the worst offense in the league, one of the worst offenses in the league, and come back and keep your job, especially after the head coach has already been fired. You're going to hire a new staff who's probably going to be an offensive guy. And Frank Smith is someone who's going to be on that list. I just don't see him being back. But Chris Tabor, as a special teams coordinator, as someone who stepped in as the interim, someone the coach that the players respect this highly, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back. Uh, it would be a little wild to see him uh, be retained across coaching staff. It happens a lot in college where one guy sticks around like forever across multiple staffs, but in the NFL, you don't really see it all that much. So for Chris Tabor, it would be interesting to see if that happens. So pretty cool highlight there. Very, very interested to see how the Panthers rank um, the rest of the report card comes out later on this spring. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Lockdown Panthers podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, hosted by yours truly, Julian Council. Again, y'all, make sure to subscribe or follow the show for free over on YouTube, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And be sure to follow me, Julian Council, on Twitter at Julian Council. We're starting next Friday. The weekly Friday mailbag is back throughout the rest of the offseason here in Carolina. So either at me or DM me. But first, follow me over on Twitter to get those questions into me for next week's show. But in the meantime, be safe, be happy, be whole. As always, keep pounding. And I'll talk to you guys on Sunday for one final live show here in the 2023 season.